Turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. It's been a while since I've been in Titus, but we'll keep moving through. Remember, what we've read in chapter 1, in verse 2, the Apostle Paul continues to build on that. And the first charge the Apostle Paul gives, if you look there in chapter 2, verse 1, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And we're going to read here in just a minute, but why does he begin it with but? Well, he's referring back to verses 10 through 16 of chapter 1. You remember the last sermon the Apostle Paul is exposing and warning, challenging Titus to think. They're rebellious men. They're empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So that's where he's building on. Remember that uh, First and Second Timothy and Titus are pastoral epistles written to particular men who were pastors, and the Apostle Paul gives specific charge to Titus that he would finish the work that the Apostle Paul began to establish elders, to establish elders there in Crete. The Apostle Paul can't do the work alone. Titus can't do the work alone. The churches need elders to lead, to teach, to rule. So that's why he was left in Crete. And now we pick up, we'll read all of chapter 2. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word? Titus 2, this is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds." with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession." zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of the Lord. 
Please be seated. The Apostle Paul begins in verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. The shepherd of souls must know sound doctrine. And then he must speak sound doctrine to everybody around him. That's his work. So how are we to know what sound doctrine is? There are all kinds of doctrines all around us that we consume all the time. In the age of the internet, it's at our fingertips every day, every moment. There's no end to hearing something new. And I hate to break it to you, but our standard, we don't normally, our go-to is normally not sound doctrine. What is it normally? Our standard normally is false doctrine. We're drawn to it. We're prone to consume false doctrine. It's attractive. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, it looked good to the eyes. That's how false doctrine is. And we just think that we can take in, consume bad doctrine by the truckloads, and that we won't be affected by it. But we are. So how do we know sound doctrine? How do we actually know what sound doctrine is? Does anyone know the Bereans in Acts? The Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. Why? Any of you young people know why the Bereans were more noble-minded? I have some grimaces in the back. Well, let me read it to you. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, for one. They were eager to hear the word. Uh, Toby Sumter in Bloomington, he talked about sometimes you read the Bible and you get bible like you're just reading and Bible things are happening. And when you get done with the passage, you kind of wonder, what did I even just read? We have such short attention spans, such little patience for God's word. Not the Bereans. They were eager to receive God's word. And, they ex- and then they did more. They examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. You think the Bereans knew sound doctrine? I think they did. Do you think they could identify false doctrine much more easily? Absolutely. Strong church there. So you might ask, so Paul, are you telling me that I'm going to know sound doctrine just by reading the Bible? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Read your Bible. Read God's Word. But that's simplistic. If you read the Bible, for one, you'll know what it says. For starters... Kids, you aren't going to pass a test if you don't study the math book, right? I'm not saying read the Bible exclusively. Trust me, there are all kinds of false doctrines that people come up with. I read this in the Bible, and they take it, just a small chunk of it. There are all kinds of crazy doctrines that can be come up with. But Scripture always interprets Scripture, so the more of Scripture that you read, the more you know, the more you understand how it fits together. 
we live in the information age, we have free access to virtually all the good sound doctrine over the last millennia that we can that we can possibly imagine. It's at our fingertips. So what do we spend our time doing? What doctrines do we normally consume? What is it for you? You know, I really need to read my Bible. Well, let's see what's on Google News. Let's see what happened on Apple News or on Facebook or fake news or beautiful pictures on Pinterest. We love pictures. Pinterest would be more interesting if you could just get past all those annoying pictures. But we're drawn to it. They preach doctrine to us. And it takes a lot of our time. We spend a lot of time just looking at pictures because we're undisciplined. We don't read our Bibles because we, do. we have no patience for it because we don't have discipline. And pictures teach us to think merely visually, which again leads us to not have patience for the Word. God did not send a film to us. He sent His Word, and there is power in His Word. We train ourselves from a very young age to have very short attention spans. And I can be impatient with my kids for a short attention span. Well, how many, how much TV and how many movies have I let them consume? We're trained by the flashing lights, the moving images. Because we've trained ourselves to be lazy instead of working hard. It's hard work to learn sound doctrine. Anyone open your book to read and I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'm not just going to read a chapter. I'm going to read several chapters. I'm going to finish this book cover to cover. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do it. And then, what, maybe get done with page one and I start getting heavy, you get sleepy. We're undisciplined. And that's why we don't know sound doctrine like we should. And that's why the Apostle Paul charges Titus from the beginning. As for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And he moves on, and the Apostle Paul doesn't just speak in generalities. He doesn't just write as he thinks about the older men, the older women, the young men, bond slaves. He doesn't just speak in generalities. We like to speak in generalities because it's safe. But if I address my brother or my sister with specifics, that's when the hair on the back of our neck starts to stand up, right? You almost sound like you're talking to me specifically, the Apostle Paul. And if your conscience is pricked by what is written, then yes, he is speaking to you directly. We like generalities. We like platitudes. But the problem, to speak generally, is that it's only so helpful. We need specific instruction. 
the Apostle Paul is committed to loving the Christians in Crete. And so he's going to be specific. Older men like this. Older women like this. Young men. Just imagine what Scripture would be like without the specifics. How much of Scripture would be left if it was just generalities? We just kept the generalities. You know, we can pull a, we can pull a Jefferson. We'll cut out all the specifics, and then it'll be a lot more palatable to us, right? I've talked with a lot of people who would rather wish Scripture didn't speak with specifics, but it does. We sometimes act as though there weren't specifics that don't apply to me, but God's Word is sharp. It divides, and it's helpful. So, continuing in chapter 2, verse 2, Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in the faith, in love, in perseverance. And with any one of these sections, we could spend many sermons and a long time on them. We have gone through qualifications for elders, so for this verse I'll say, you older men, you set an example for everybody else around you. And that's why the Apostle Paul dresses them first. You think of, you think of Job as an excellent example of this list. Temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in the faith and love and perseverance. He was an older man who everybody knew, who everybody respected. He was, he was a godly man. And older men, we can complain about the culture around us all we want. But if our lives are not like this, young men, if you're not modeling your life after this now, then we are the ones to blame for why the culture is around us. Are we being examples to the rest of the culture that's watching? Okay, continuing in verses 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, are to be, number one, reverent in their behavior. Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, Kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Malicious gossips. It's kind of redundant, isn't it? Have you ever experienced gossip that wasn't malicious? Now, there are varying degrees of malicious gossips, but it is malicious. And gossip is more harmful than we give it credit for. It causes a lot of trouble. And we gossip because we don't love people. Think about it. If you love somebody, and if they need to be confronted about something, then you lovingly confront them. I'm sure you brothers are very happy to do this readily, right? If you gossip about them, then you're not helping them. So if you gossip about someone... You're not helping them because they're not hearing it. You're not helping the one you're gossiping to 
because they're just standing self-justified and more righteous than the one you're gossiping about. And you're not being helped because you're being weak and not confronting the individual. And instead, just talking to someone who's going to confirm you in your words, right? We try to justify our gossip, but it's just wicked. So let's be a church committed to not gossiping about one another or others. Speaking the truth to one another in love. And if you're committed to not gossiping, you'll stand out as a a Christian. I see this at work all the time. Anyone who's been in any group, any team, for any amount of time has seen this. Coworkers want to complain to one another about who? Normally. About the boss. We we can all do it better. You kids can all um, do the parenting thing, leading the family in the home better than dad and mom, right? That's why you convince yourselves. And it's so pathetic to complain about the boss. And it's so easy to do. So here's an idea. Instead of addressing the one who needs to hear this, instead of addressing the one who can actually make a helpful change, that's the boss, I've got an idea. I know. I'll just slander that boss to my coworker who will simply confirm me in my complaint And then my coworker and I, we not only won't help with any change, we've actually just made it worse. Now everything is just as bad, only we have even more contempt, which is spreading to all the other coworkers. We have more contempt against the boss. And what's worse, we'll just continue to, in this cycle of bitterness, gossip, and contempt for the remaining of our tenure at this job until we go to another job and then we can start the process all over again. That's how most of us are tempted to lead our lives, right? And it's like this in the family. Gossip destroys people's souls. Men and women who are made in God's image, we gossip. The root of it is that we want to ignore our own personal sins. If I'm consumed with gossiping about all of you, then I don't have any time to think about my personal sins that need to be repented of. James 3 says, The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. And Proverbs 10 says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous, listen to this, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. This particular text, it's dealing with older women not being malicious gossips, but 
Men, young women, children, we're all tempted to it. So don't gossip. Don't slander with your words. Last Saturday was a fun adventure. Whenever the ladies are away at a ladies' retreat retreat, and you're watching six little kids, it's an adventure from beginning to end. you got to stay ahead of them. So we were jamming to some tunes when Jess and Mom left for the ladies' retreat. And I was getting Titus down to a nap. The boys came up and told me that the girls were calling their friends stinky and evil. So you want to just react when you hear something like this. But if you're going to do better than that, you've got to search a matter out. Okay, just so I heard you right, boys, the girls are calling your friends stinky and evil. Okay, so let's, call, let's talk to the girls. And then you've got to ask the girls. So girls, the boys are reporting that you're calling their friends stinky and evil. Is that true? <laughs> Excuse me. Well, yeah. Excuse me. <coughs> but you need to keep searching out the matter. Okay, girls. Who are you talking about? And I'll say that they were talking about two boys in this church. One is here, one is not. <clears throat> Can't give their names. That wouldn't be fair. Especially the one who's not here. Can't even defend himself. Why are they stinking and evil? Well, because they're always grabbing us and holding us. And I think about it, well, that's not good. They shouldn't do that. But if that's the case, you need to talk with them. Think about it. The girls are sitting there talking to my boys. Your friends are stinky and evil. It's not helping anybody. It's not helping the girls or my sons or those two boys who need the talking to. And they said, well, we do talk to them, but then they just chase us around. Like, well, then talk to their parents. Thank you very much. Malicious gossiping, it does no good. The Holy Spirit, in his wisdom, addresses particular sins in particular people. The Holy Spirit is helpful. So you ready for this? Older women are prone to particular sins. Okay? (laughs) And if you older women are honest, as you read this list, you'll know you're prone to these particular sins. You younger women, watch for these. You're setting your life on a trajectory now. Older women are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. That's pretty specific, right? If I'm a legalist, I'll read that and I'll ask, so can I be enslaved to a moderate volume of wine? Enslaved to even some wine, so long as I'm not enslaved to much wine? We're the legalists. The Bible tells us to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by any substance. Proverbs 31 says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine. 
or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. We were having dinner sometime last year and I was drinking a beer and Moses asked me, is beer a drug? I was like, well... Yes. And he smiles and says, well, Dad, I hope you stop drinking it. That's a good son who loves his dad. But think of just these first three for older women. If an older woman is irreverent, if she is a malicious gossip, and she's enslaved to much wine, she is not going to be any good to any young woman with the rest of the list. The list is older women, as we continue, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Young women need encouragement. (laughs) Young women need encouragement to love their husbands. It's hard work for a young woman to love her husband. Jessica tells me this all the time. Husbands need to love their wives, and they need the love of their wives. Encouraged to love their children. Testify to that? It's hard work. I know all of you kids think that you're the most lovable thing that has graced the planet Earth. Ah, I got some head shaking back there. No, that's an honest one back there. It's difficult. They need to be encouraged to do it. Encouraged to be pure. The young women need to be encouraged to be workers at home. Well, that's definitely where the Apostle Paul starts to go off the rails. He didn't realize this would be read in 21st century America. Thankfully, we progressed beyond that workers-at-home business. Wrong. Older women are to encourage the young women to be workers at home. Alexis de Tocqueville, is that how you say his name? De Tocqueville? He came to America... And the distinguishing thing he saw as the reason for America flourishing. Mothers at home, running the business of the home, said that is why America is flourishing. And now today, mothers working out of the home is just expected. I tell people that we have a big family. Like I tell people I meet out out in the city, you know, we're expecting our seventh child. And almost all of them ask, so what does your wife do? It's just expected that she's at working. Um, she works all the time. She works around the clock. And men, this also means, you young men, 
This also means that you need to work your tail off so that she is free and comfortable to work at home. You'll grow up, young men, feeling pressure that you need to keep up with the Joneses, you need to live beyond your means, and so you need two incomes. I've talked to countless women who say that they would rather be at home with the children. That's what they want. And if they were able to, that's exactly what they would do. And you mothers who do work at home, love your work. I know it's hard. But we always think the grass is greener on the other side. You could be working, you could be working outside the home, and that is hard. Regardless, either way, be content with the work God has given you. Contentment in your station, it it glorifies God. Older women are to encourage the young women to be kind. Older women are to encourage the young women to be subject to their own husbands. Why? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. And we hear... All kinds of arguments against this today. Well, if I as a woman submit myself to a husband, well, that just opens me up to abuse. Well, we've already dealt with in Titus 1, the kind of man that ladies should be looking for as a husband, godly men, who themselves submit to God and to the elders of their church. You know, you hear of, you hear of abuse of authority. Um, this group of men saying to those under them, we will get your respect. You will submit to us. They need to be an example of it themselves, those who lead. Older women, when they are reverent, in their behavior, when they're not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, it glorifies God, and it's an example to the young women with the rest of the list. First Timothy 2, which we'll get to with Pastor Bailey's sermons, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one who was deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and fell into sin. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Why must the older women encourage the younger women to live this way? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. Okay, verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Young men, you're first and foremost to be, what does it say? What's that? Sensible. What does it mean to be sensible? That's the first thing you need to hear, all day, every day. It means to be the opposite of the way young men often want to be. Irrational, unreasonable, and out of control. Those would be antonyms. 
To be sensible is to be in your right mind, to have good judgment, because you don't have a lot of it. And so look to older, wiser examples. Titus himself, in verse 7, is to be an example of good deeds, as the shepherd of all these souls there in Crete. Verses 9 and 10, continuing. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. In all your work, be a Christian. It was very easy for slaves. It says not argumentative, not pilfering. There are ample opportunities for a slave to steal from the master. At work, if you have a job now, or as you young men grow to get a job, or at school now, don't steal. You can steal at work by being lazy and not working when you're on the clock. You boys, study hard. You young ladies, study hard in your school. You've been given good teachers. Don't be lazy with your studying because it'll come, it'll come to bite you as you grow up. Work hard now. Discipline yourself now. Be a Christian in all your work. And now, in verses 11 through 14, this is the foundation that we've been building up here as we've been reading the Apostle Paul. We're not talking about uh, mindless formalism. What's the point? Why, why even live this way in verses 1 through 10? Why? Well, the ground, the foundation, why older men, older women, younger men, younger women should live this way for, you see that word for at the beginning of verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And verse 15, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority, with all command, literally. Let no one disregard you. Titus was doing the good work of proclaiming the good news that Jesus saved sinners. He had to preach the message with authority. Shame on him if if he didn't. And not only shame, but how are you going to preach the gospel and give these instructions, you know, suggestively? You know, it would really be nice if you older women didn't quite drink so much wine. Maybe. Don't hurt me. It's pathetic. You teach and you preach with authority. We don't suggest, we proclaim, we testify with authority. 
People aren't moved by weakness and timidity. We need to be confident, again, going back to verse 1. We need to know sound doctrine so that we can be confident about the words that are coming out of our mouths. And the Apostle Paul commands Titus, notice there at at the very end, let no one disregard you. It's a command. You shall not be disregarded. Think about your home. I'm not going to let Jessica or I be disregarded in our home. And how much more important in the work of the church. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And that is what we are to be, his people, living for his glory, zealous for good deeds. Let's pray.